Life is either a daring adventure or nothing at all. Security does not exist in nature, nor do the children of men as a whole experience it. Avoiding danger is no safer in the long run than exposure. That's a quote by Helen Keller. And this episode is with Casey and Ryan Hickenbottom. They are twin brothers, California State lifeguards, endurance athletes, and surfers. And in search to find true adventure, explore, and raise awareness to protect our amazing coastline, they set out last year on a 2,200-mile prone paddle from southern Alaska to the U.S.-Mexico border. Good God. The two 24-year-old brothers decided to quit their lifeguard jobs and paddle for seven months, completing a task never before attempted. Using 18-foot Joe Bark paddle boards, they covered 20 to 25 miles every single day. Happy Fourth of July, everyone. I recommend drinking a beer or two with this podcast, as we did. I'll crack one right now. Oh, yeah. No greater sound. I was introduced to Casey and Ryan by my buddy Corey Jones, who was on the podcast way back in episode six. He chimes in on the conversation periodically as he was sitting in the corner during the podcast. Big thank you to everyone who donated to the show last week on Patreon, Ash, Madison, Sarah, and David. High fives all around, guys. It's people like you who are helping to keep this show going. And for those of you who don't know, uh, the way that my Patreon thingy works is if you donate just a few bucks a month, it enters you into the running for a monthly giveaway where I give away gear from my surf sponsors, including Patagonia Provisions, Sector 9 Skateboards, and RPM Fitness. So donate five or ten bucks and you could have a new skateboard being sent to your doorstep. Uh, also, I am an Amazon affiliate now, so if you don't have a few bucks to spare, totally get it. Times are tough, but we all buy shit on Amazon. That is one universal truth. So what you can do is you can go to my website, kyle.surf. You click the Amazon link. You then book that link. It'll take you to something like amazon.com slash kyle Tierman. Then everything that you buy Amazon will give me 5 to 8% of that in cash at no cost to you. So as long as you use that link, you will be supporting the podcast. Actually, I can't say that legally. You won't be supporting the podcast. You will be supporting my meth addiction with that 5 to 8%, but you won't be supporting the podcast. So who wants to see Kyle get addicted to meth? I'll start talking faster, more concisely, won't blowvate so much. Her, her, her. Um, all right, that's it. Let's get this bad boy going. Uh, and as always, give me feedback on the show. I love hearing from all of you. So my website, Instagram, I try and respond to all of the messages that I get. All right, guys, happy 4th of July, and I hope that you get a good laugh out of this podcast with the twin brothers, Casey and Ryan Hickenbottom. Hickenbottom. 
Kyle Tierman here. I'm in Cape Town. I was the only journalist in northern Nigeria. Not an adventure until you get lost in Tijuana. You get caught inside by a giant wave, you feel really alone. I love the adventure of waking up and not knowing what will happen and that being my job. I'm standing at a desert oasis right now. A lot of tourists don't see this part of Bali. Smiles and thumbs up. Thumbs up. So we gotta start this off by settling something. Pancreation so, fight. Who's the better paddler? <laughs> I am. No, all right. Any see time, how slow he was to react right there? We'll Did be, you see that? We'll, <laughs> that hesitation. Because Ryan has no context for why he's the better paddler. He just likes to make bold claims without actually backing him up. Well, Back the backup is, is just if how we did a race slowly right now, reacted there. If we did a race right now, Ryan would be staring at my ass the whole time. <laughs> Who gets into bigger waves? That's a decent gauge of paddling. All right, I get crushed by bigger waves. Okay. Was there, is this how the whole paddle went? Like, all right, we set up little goals for ourselves and like, no, I'm, I'm better. Sorry, no, I'm better. And then that's how you, you know broke this record? He's not a big thinker. You know, everything moves slow. So we were actually going to get to Port McNeil one day, which was one of our I, drops I, I on I Vancouver Island. You, I want to like just give you a and nice chin I'm, shot right there. I'm looking at the current and I realize it's pushing back. Ryan's in the middle of the channel trying to paddle he's going like he's he's complaining he's bitching about everything and i'm like hey man like just just do what i do show i'll show you the way i'll bring him to the light he's kind of my he's always been the follower i was i mean you can't deny were you, were you first were you first born was, so the, if you want a little background on that kyle the story is that this is true the, this is a true story the, the doctor, Casey, came out four hours before I did. And but the, the ultrasound. When, the ultrasound. Just hold on a second. Just hold on a second. The ultrasound. The doctor said that that I actually tried to eat him in the womb. So I, I tried to eat You're him. like a great white shark. He was scared. I like, yeah, I like that. I was kind of the apex predator in that. Yeah. He was kind of a parasite, and I tried to eat him in the womb. And in turn, he got out early, and I got four extra hours of development inside. <laughs> Ryan, inside the womb, Ryan was a scared child. He wanted to stay in that warm environment. I actually exited early. I had four extra hours of development, while Ryan's just inside, depriving himself of oxygen, and I'm, I'm reaping a lot of milk. Well, at you the time you can yeah. understand the yeah. you can understand early preparation. I was practicing breath holding at an early age. I mean, you of all people can understand that. And, yeah, you, you're short. you're Wim Hoffing it in there. Breaking, yeah. You're breaking records inside the womb. Exactly, well, the and it was is, cold in there too. I real. I had reached an extra level of development. I was ready to get out. While Ryan, I mean, I, I his hands. All right, all right, all right. We're gonna get. We're yeah. gonna get to this. We're gonna get to this. <laughs> let's break it down. Let's break it down. Um, let's start from the beginning of the beginning. What uh, inspired you guys to do this paddle? Like, what's what's the real story? What like how did that actually happen? Bring me into the situation where you decided. We're in our college house. Where we're at. We're about to graduate. We're hanging out, typically shooting ideas back and forth because we've always wanted to really just kind of push it, find that next level. And we're drinking a bunch of beers. And I'm shooting an idea. I had this weird idea about Mongolia I'm going for a while. And Ryan's like, hey, let's. Let's paddle down the coast, and we're we're looking at scale, and it keeps going. All right, California, no. U.S., no. Let's do Alaska to Mexico. And 
it literally just went like that. And then how long from the inception of that idea to when you got in the water? It was about a year. One year. One year. And, and to be, I mean, to background, to put some background on that, we've, We've grown up in Pismo Beach, California. It's at, you know where it is, between L.A. and San Francisco. And we yep. grew up exploring the coast. I mean, running it, swimming along the coast, surfing it, going through every nook and cranny. And at a certain point of exploring these areas, you want to go bigger. You want to see see bigger things and, you know, expand your horizons, have a new experience, have real adventure. Yeah. I, think, I think adventure is a word that's a lot of times overused. And I wanted that. I think we both wanted that real experience, that real adventure. And that's where we wanted to do, and especially doing something where we looked at it, we, you know, we came up with that idea, we look into it and it hadn't been done before. Nothing really of that kind had been done. So we go, you know, this is really cool. There's so many things you can do. So we're going to evolve so much and learn so much doing something that hasn't been done before. Have you guys been record breakers? Have you guys been like the twins who are always trying to go? I mean, maybe not world records, but like trying to break each other's records, trying to break, break school records. Like you guys obviously super competitive like is that just in your nature i mean there's always competition right you grew up constantly he's gonna do something i'm gonna do it better he's gonna try to beat me it's not gonna happen i'm just gonna keep <laughs> the next yeah. level if you want to be if you want you want to start you want to get back to that we can talk about that <laughs> no all right all right we You're did a bunch of in, i did we did a bunch of endurance events growing up yeah so then you know I do a race. Ryan does a shorter one. Tries to match yeah. it up. Here we go. And, okay, no, we go, we go hey, back is that, to the bullshit. That's, a, that's not a lie. Let's talk about fight records. <laughs> Shut so the we're fuck always up. going up against each other in whatever, and that kind of drives you. The, that is the one advantage I'd say about being a twin. You're saying, okay, you're always going head to head, and the other guy is physically going to be able to be at the same level as you. So it's such a comp constant competition. It's kind of a weird thing when you think about what being a twin is. Like, like if there was just, like when you're not a twin, thinking about another one of me just being out there, like around, is a really weird thought to have. <laughs> yeah, it's fucked up. It's super fucked up. <laughs> but but it, we normalize it because yeah. there are things called twins, and there's a lot of them. All like most species, uh, maybe all species. Do all species have twins? Like all mammals? I, I don't know. I as f I know there are twin. I mean, you have otters. I, in otters, twins is a common thing. It is. I don't you know. Sure? You sure you yeah. want to do that on a? Right. Yeah, look it up. We should look it up. We actually have our friend Corey Jones in the oh. studio as well, who uh, was on the podcast earlier. So you can go up and check out the work that he's doing in San Luis Obispo. But he's going to be this is this is kind of like a Joe Rogan style thing where we have a researcher right there. <laughs> see see if all uh, mammals have tw have twins. But we can keep going. Yeah. Um, so the, yeah. But that's crazy. I mean, it's like it's what a what a solid advantage and then, and it happens a lot with athletes right like they're, they're in just in surfing there's the hobgoods right they're the twins there's the brother combos of andy and bruce irons, irons. it's like yeah. it makes so much sense that you would reach that it better lever, level it pushes you competitively and it's it, yeah it but, totally does and he, and like think about when when you th when you're like feeling like shit and you're like oh i'm not really doing it much like i need to go get out there and go skate or surf it's because you don't have your friends around it's because you don't have your peers pushing you so you have a twin and you guys make this paddle happen yeah it's funny it's we, radical yeah we talk about the competition back and forth and one of one of our, you know, our obviously family members are concerned when you tell them that you're going to paddle from Alaska to Mexico with your hands, and 
my mom's biggest concern was that we would get into a fight <laughs> and seri- se- seriously severely injure each other or kill each other. That was an actual concern. But we, we talked about that. I was talking to Corey earlier, and we, we were mentioning this, but when we got into the reality of what it was and what we were doing, you were so reliant on the other person. When in this case, he's relying on me. I'm relying on him. That you're not going to do that because my lot. He's backing me up. I'm backing him up. Yeah, and you can't. You can't do that. You, you fully have to commit to the teamwork aspect. With both both of us having a commitment to a goal, and this goal, you know, we set daily your daily goals, and you set a goal every day. You compartmentalize every single day into a goal with the larger goal in mind. But both being on the same mindset that we are going to make this happen. We we had a mutual understanding of we're not we're not going to harm each other. You're not yeah. going to hurt. You know. Yeah. It comes to basic like we one of us loses sunglasses. We're going to switch off every hour, so that someone doesn't damage their eyes. It's there's no. Did you guys have to do that kind of thing? Oh yeah, all we, the time. We learned yeah. so much about team. I didn't I didn't know what it meant to be a, I think a, a teammate and work work together to really to make a goal happen. Like truly, where it doesn't matter what the task is. It doesn't matter what you're doing whose job it is it's gonna get done someone's gonna do it and we both want to give me an example and we learned well you can't do it alone yeah no matter what well like you couldn't have done this Cor- race alone or i mean you couldn't have done this yeah, this expedition, paddle yeah this I, Corey actually introduced both of us to the idea well he was talking about how character is something you chisel away at and teamwork is too you get put in situations that are so so an example bad that you can't get there on your own you need your buddy yeah so give me a pragmatic example of how you needed the other one yeah i mean this that that was a decision making old columbia too but you you have a lot of talk you know we're we're um partway down vancouver island halfway halfway down vancouver island there's a spot called the seymour narrows and i think i've told the story once before but there's a there's an the entire pacific ocean sucks through this section that's about 400 meters wide Maybe a little more, maybe a little less. I don't know the exact figure, but this current can get up to 16, 17 knots. So, so essentially rapids, and it creates nasty currents and whirlpools. If you look at a hydrographic chart and you look at the currents on it, it's pretty messed up. It's There's no basis. Even flood or ebb, you're still going to get this weird mixed bag, and it's taken down 114 vessels. The last death I know of was 2015. Yeah. So it was kind of a deal. We didn't, but we didn't know that going into it. We how does it actually take down vessels? So it's these currents that. How do they whirlpools created uh, by the back eddies? So they whirl them and flip them, and then they go down, and, and then it sucks down. And how far out in the ocean is this? This is literally in between Vancouver Island and I don't know the other the other island, but it's not. It's on the inside passage. It's I mean, just, it's it, in it looks Canada, like a river yeah. when it's flowing. So you're, it's the Pacific Ocean sucking through this section. It's the midway point bet- on Vancouver Island, between Vancouver Island, Island and the mainland. Most people don't think about that. Most people have never been so far out in the sea that they understand the concept of these big whirlpools. But the ocean is basically one big whirlpool. Like when people talk about like, oh, there's enough plastic in the ocean for to be it's an island twice the size of texas like that's not true they're talking about a gyre they're talking about a spinning whirlpool that is twice the size of texas it's way bigger but they're talking about a swirling pool but then there are these smaller swirling pools also that you can get hit by yeah and i didn't know i didn't know that existed i i thought it's you know that's something out of greek mythology these whirlpools that are going to take down ships and we end up had that's part of our route we didn't we heard about the seymour narrows we didn't know 
we didn't know really what it entailed and we started going through we hit it slack tide a guy comes up to us on a boat right before and goes hey you know where you're going through you go yeah the narrows and he goes i was like you think it's you think it's cool to go through right now and he goes yeah you're good slack tide but you know he doesn't you know he doesn't know the speed we're going and slack tide only lasts for so long he thought he thought we were kayakers who had lost our oars and we were just heading down because no one had ever seen prone paddling no clue so they don't really know what's going on so we came to warn us but then we think it's a good go we're gonna hit it it's only five kilometers long so you think you can get through it partway through not the case the current starts turning against us we're staying in the back eddies as much as we can the current keeps picking up picking up picking up until we got to a point around a certain corner was that at ripple rock well that's blown up but it was near it yeah but but near that near that i remember paddle figuring it out pretty quick i was paddling and i look in front of me and there's a whirlpool it's about a foot in diameter but it it just it goes dark it just drops there's air all the way down so that's just really confusing so i'm looking at it thinking all right i'm just gonna boop drop straight down to it obviously i went over it but all of a sudden you're realizing this is building up it's a building current we're flipping our boards we're starting to go backwards we kind of try to stick to the side in some back eddies but eventually it gets so strong you can't fight it we're all we're with our gear and our boards we're grabbing the rocks to pull farther up and try to pass but it's not going to happen so we got we got to a point where we pulled off and we just it's there's no possible way we can pass it's just not it's not going to happen my thought is okay let's let's jump back on we'll take this current back to brown's bay which is at the start of narrows and and we it's funny we you know we had a pretty casual conversation about it casey thought it was a bad idea which was the right call and i thought maybe we'll go back i don't know what would happen if we had gone back on it and who knows but it then so we decided we would look for a place to sleep and anyway we we uh casey walked up while i held the boards in this back eddy found a cave to sleep in for the night and we we end up staying there and it took i mean both of us took talking about this discussing what the plan was taking hiking the boards up getting them up the cliff side together and then you guys I, set I up camp in a cave yeah that was the one night we actually didn't use tent we set up camp in a cave you know what's funny is we're in this cave in the middle of the night we come from california and you know earthquakes is a thing and at about 11 o'clock at night the whole thing starts rumbling just <laughs> a real shaking i'm like holy shit there's an earthquake going on right now and we're, you know, we're like, what the hell? This doesn't feel, I and mean, we felt earthquakes before we're all from California. And we see a cruise ship passing through the Narrows. They are so close that we can see people eating shrimp, drinking beer on the cruise ship. It was, they're, they're partying on board. Yeah. It's pretty funny. Whoa. Yeah. And we're in this cave looking out at it, eye level, because we're up in this high cave above, above on this cliff. So we're literally on the edge just watching them. It was pretty funny. Dude, that's a profound moment. That's like I, I don't I, I don't know the metaphor in that, but there is one. I don't. I felt I you know you know like of, yeah. that the whole like idea like I, it makes me think of the movie. Uh, you guys ever seen Castaway? Oh yeah, right where Tom yeah. Hanks is he's yelling to the to the plane flying over to go get him, yeah. but there's no way the plane's gonna see him. And then finally, when he gets off the island, it's all like shrimp caviar. When like at the, oh, yeah. the celebration mm-hmm. party, it's like all the shit that he was oh, yeah. eating are the delicacies that they're eating on their boat. That was a, the funny thing with that moment, though. It had rained. We caught enough water, and we were kind of looking at it. We were enjoying it. We had enough tea because we had all that water. So we were cooking <sighs> tea and hanging out, and it turned into this... We it was that it was a moment separate from Castaway where we actually I didn't want to be on the boat 
I was you realize, fully right. content in that moment. You realize how special the experience you're experiencing. Because, and part of that is because there's a town around the corner. We know we can get food when we need it. But we were, it rained so hard right when we got into the cave for about a half an hour. We collected two gallons of water and were able to have food, have tea, water. It's a good night. And, and we didn't have to use our, our tents. It was pretty, it was a good night. That's radical. And man. to see that and apart oh. from the busted, your board got messed up in the currents yeah. and I had this. I gashed my shin down the tibia. So you br- bring me into uh, an evening. So you're paddling for hours and hours and hours, then you set up somewhere. Either it's on the beach or it's in town and you figure out a spot to stay. But bring me into an average little time period of when you hit the shore. Yeah. So what you would do? We so, we mapped we basically we mapped our route. We mapped we started out mapping every night. Obviously, I told you when we got to. Alaska, our plans changed because we probably would have died if we took our initial route and we could come back to that. But we mapped every day based on water sources because we needed water for our food. We needed water to drink, obviously. So we mapped all our campsites based on water. We basically we paddle in. We we know our site. We've got our we got our hydro, hydrographic charts and we, we. What do those look like? We they're chart laid out. It's got Latin launch points. It's got it doesn't have topo, but it lays out all the islands and everything. You have a scale that you can work off of, and they're pretty directional. I mean, we had compasses, but you most of navigation when you're looking at that, you're spotting islands and you're going from there. So we mapped that, but the it, you know you're talking about towns, British Columbia. It's mostly all islands, so we didn't. I mean, we wouldn't see people for a week. And did you learn how to uh, read these maps from after the point that you made the decision to do this trip? Not until when the, we were on. When the inception of the idea yeah. came, when did you well, learn how to read these I mean, maps? They're pretty straightforward, but they we are. really, we never used them at all. You didn't. But when you look at, you look at, they have markings on a lot of these charts of, you know, we're looking at the current in, in different areas and. We, we look at things like before. that. We didn't use them before. Yeah, we didn't. We During, didn't use the maps. Yeah. Bef- yeah. So we. Yeah. It, but it's but are they process. hard to learn how to read? And I do want to get back to what happens when you get to shore. But the, um, you need to do a little read up on. You okay. know, know what certain symbols mean and things like that. But what are the main things that you're looking for when you're looking at those maps? Basic, basically, we're looking at the the land topography, looking at the water sources, and how to identify where we're coming into. And we did a lot of. You know, luckily, we live in the age. Well, luckily, sadly, that we're, we can look at Google Earth and look at what these spaces... And that was part of our mapping. You know, totally we want to know it. what these places look like. So we look at maps, we look at Google Earth, and know what these places look like that we were coming into. And that was that was part of the mapping process. Gotcha. So, yeah, so we get in, we paddle into shore, you know, we usually around a five- or six-hour day. Go, We go in, right? And when we were in Canada, we brought a shotgun because when you're in California... <laughs> Every everybody you talk to, oh oh, grizzly bears, grizzly bears. Every it's funny when you talk to my mom's biggest concern was leaving was that we would hurt each other in a fight. My dad's biggest concern was that we would get eaten by a bear, which is which is funny now when you look at it because you have all these concerns that people in Central California are talking about, and when you get up there and you experience it, the biggest concern is weather. The second biggest concern is weather, and the third biggest concern is weather. <laughs> yeah, and well, warmth. Yeah, well, weather never pertains to warm. Warm up there. I didn't care what we had. You're not going to be warm. So we'd get to shore. I would put together. I was basically. I kept the shot. I put together the shotgun. 
We'd make a lot of noise because we were terrified of grizzly bears because people told us horror stories constantly. We would get in, put our boards in a certain spot, find a good place to camp, start setting out our gear, collect water. And while one person's collecting water, the other person's doing security, making noise, holding the shotgun. That might have been... A little paranoid. It seemed... Very paranoid. It seems paranoid now, but at the time, totally rational thought. Because you really... That was the difference, the big change, one of them, between regular life and being on the paddle is that there's no safety net. I'm not going to go jump on rocks and do stuff that you'd normally mess around with because any kind of injury, we're in the middle of nowhere. And you you have all these... You have all these, you know, great, you read all these books and you have all these romantic ideas of what just being out in nature is going to be like. And maybe maybe it's just me, but you get out there and it's a it's a different it's a different mindset. You're you're not the apex predator. You are paranoid. You and I don't maybe our paranoia we were alive, so maybe it, it worked for us, but Nature's predator and yeah. prey relationships. Yeah, and you're looking you're for signs understanding that. Yeah. So you get to shore if it, if you're up in uh, Alaska or um, through Canada, is it these little islands or is it on? Uh, so you get to an island, you start making noise. One person's collecting and filtering water. What kind of water sources were you going for? Streams, yeah, whatever, streams, whatever creeks. there was. Yeah, creeks. Okay. Little in BC, it rains so much that you can be on a tiny island and get the water. You, I mean, we're talking an island the size of the house. There's going to be running water out of it, which is amazing. That is amazing. Yeah. Wow. And it was raining a lot of the time that you were out there, I'm guessing. Yeah, m- most of the time, especially up north. I mean, we're the that first, I'd say it's about 600, 700 miles of rainforest. That sounds so cold. It was, it was cold. We had about, and every time we'd get down the coast, someone would be like, oh, yeah, you know, you just got into the rainforest. We get to Washington State, so and we think we're out of the rain, and the guy goes, yeah, you know, you're in the rainforest now. And I remember looking at Casey, and, and like, he just looks down. Are we so going to get out of the rainforest? Like, please, let <laughs> this, this one guy was talking, he's all, yeah, there's not a whole lot to see farther south of here. We're in northern Washington. I was like, I don't – send me to the desert. I, I need to be in something dry because you're never, you're never warm, and you're always wet. Wow. So then you set up your tent, most places. Uh, you make a fire, or what kind of uh, equipment did you have to make this happen? Little jet boils? Yeah, yeah, we had a, what's, what's the stove called? Rea- MSR reactor stove. Okay. But no no fires, because we found, at, well, firstly, everything's wet. I mean, their techniques, so cedar, it's kind of a t- can I go off on a yeah dude this, so is, this is where you can right, do it so cedar you can say what we learned later want. on in <laughs> mid April this guy was like yeah you know you can get a cedar log floating in the water it's been there for years you cut in a half inch it's gonna be dry so it's the ultimate firewood in those kind of situations but really it's kind of a waste of energy We're, you're so beat at the end of the day and all you want is be warm get a meal prep for the next day film a little bit pass out yeah, fire Fire was just another chore. It's just yeah. something else you have to do. And the real warmth is in your sleeping bag. You think yeah. five, six fires maybe the whole seven months? Wow. Makes for great photos, but... Yeah, yeah but no, that, <laughs> um, that makes sense. And yeah. you're staying these places, at least when you're camping in uncomfortable situations, you're staying for one night and then you keep moving most times? As much as exactly. we could. Yeah. As much as you could. Yeah. We'd get held down with weather sometimes where you just, we'd be going backwards and it'd be pointless to go out. And it, Or there are times where you go, 
we're gonna break a board which will sacrifice the trip or set us back as it did broke two boards but you'll probably you'll you could die if you time things wrong yeah and we had the portland inlet that was a that's the spot we got when we were up north you know we go up to alaska we have this grand plan we're gonna be we're gonna have our surfboards strapped on our boards we're gonna hit all these surf breaks on the way down it's gonna be so much fun <laughs> we, i mean on the on the drive up we didn't know but it we're, was we're driving up we're in this tiny town i think it's called hundred mile house thousand mile house somewhere in central canada and we're eating at a diner. We've got the the board strapped on the roof of the truck. And this guy goes, "What? So what are you gonna do with those kayaks up there?" And I'm like, "Oh, we're, I didn't I didn't want to explain the whole paddleboard thing. I'd done it a ton." And I go, "Oh yeah, we're gonna paddle to Mexico." And he just started cracking up. The guy was beside himself. He was thought it was the funniest thing he'd heard of. And he goes, "No, no, you're not. I know what weather's coming." And we're just like, we just laugh along with him, and you know, you're kind of just like, oh, you know, shit, this is. Uh, you Are know, you laughing with us or at us? Yeah, <laughs> I think it was. I he was laughing at us, but it we was. Didn't a, it, realize, I mean, it was kind of. We're just kind of. Oh, you know, we're from California. Cool. We were talking to Corey California. about it earlier. We're on the ferry ride going up to Ketchikan from Prince Rupert, where we got dropped off, and it's heavy storm going through the Dixon entrance which, which takes in so much weather I'm looking it out at the mountains it looks like Mordor Lord of the Rings you know it's just weather and these big black mountains everywhere and I'm just like oh, what, what the fair is shaking the f- yeah we're, we're, I'm thinking what did we do what have we but I mean a part of it is we have this goal that's undaunting but then the pressure we have all these people that are, we're like yeah we're gonna do this yeah, and it's a, it's a little bit of reality. When check. You, like, yeah, when you no say you're gonna do it, gonna if you do don't it. do it, people know you didn't do it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a good way to put it. You know, <laughs> essentially you're gonna be you're gonna be a pussy. Yeah, you, you don't want to. No one wants to. Yeah, you you know you start getting gear once you get you get boards, you buy the stuff, you make a financial investment, and worse than that. Or better than that, however you look at it, you start telling your buddies, "Oh yeah, I'm gonna paddle from Alaska to Mexico with my hands," and and that builds pressure on you and you're like, oh shit. Yeah. In California, you know, I mean, we haven't had weather until this year pretty much really severe. We had Fonino and everything, but it's all, everyone's like, yeah, like sick trip, get some waves. No, no way. That's, no. Well, that's the, that's the California perspective. You go up north and everyone's like, oh, yeah, you picked a great season to do this. And they're just like, you're, they just think you're so, an idiot. So, uh, when did you start? March 18th. When did you end? October 21st. Wow. How did you break the boards? Uh, well, luckily we didn't do it wet deep north. We the one that happened in Oregon. Was this on the, the Oregon Central Oregon spot that the guy was laughing at you about? I want to hear about that too. Which guy? No, the, that was the, that was the guy in Canada. In Canada, he said. But you know what's funny is we did a, we did one radio interview before and I god, I wish I saved this stuff, but we, I, so I looked at the comments and on it, and everyone's just like, oh, man, you should measure these guys to make some boxes right now so we have something to put them in. People talked a lot or of that shit. We don't, you know, or people said, you know, I hope that they go down in Canada so our tax dollars don't have to pay for the CSAR to come out and pick them up. And it was, it's, I mean, to us it was funny. Savages. And, yeah. Savages. <laughs> yeah, to, to us. And so I remember someone yeah. said. Those uh, comments will take you down. You someone, can't listen to them. Yeah, <laughs> someone said in Oregon, someone they said um you know our waves are big but our sharks are bigger and shit like that and and we and what's funny casey did get bumped by a shark in oregon but yeah the board broke in central oregon it and was we were florence oregon well off that area and 
it's blowing 30 knots and from the side so you on a prone you're barely on shore, yeah. yeah it was on shore and you're you're just trying to you can't get up on your knees to, so you can't see a lot and there's so much water blowing up you can't really you have no clue so the set comes way out the back and a lot of it they have weird bars out there i mean we were a mile out we thought we're good we're in the clear but this set comes and ryan's on the outside i'm on the inside and he yells oh set's coming so he gets over it barely it wasn't even that big we're talking probably six seven foot and I, he just on it. he was behind me and a little bit behind me inside as most days you know because he's lagging shut up but he uh so and so okay but shut the fuck dude his the set comes in it's a day by day thing someone's gonna lead because the body's on the break and build cycle but that's good that's that's good for you i can understand you're on different understand this you're on different build and break cycles and you know one person's pushing the other one day the next the other day vice versa pushing it that okay no one's pushing it okay bring it back to the story story you didn't get your board broken well let me tell you what happened because i have a perspective on let me i'll give it back to you yeah i'll give it back to you What's the fuck his off? Side. So he's—he's. He's, I just want to say it, it's a weird experience. Someone's just right on the edge of you, on your hip, essentially on a paddleboard. The we can't see a lot, like you said. The winds are heavy. You're low to the ground on a. You're low to the water on a on a paddleboard, and this wave comes. I get over it. He disappears. I'm like, oh shit! He must have got taken by that wave. Before I know it, he's a hundred meters inside of me, and I'm looking over. He's flipped over the boards. The bags are flung off. One of the racks is broken. And so I start heading towards him. What What do the racks look like? I, like, paint me a picture of what your board and all your stuff actually looks like, so I know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. So we the boards are Joe Bark. He's amazing. He's he's the guy that actually believed in us from the beginning of anybody. But he he made this the 18 foot boards. They're 20 inches wide. They're extra thick glassing on the bottom. And I designed these these racks to fit our bags on the front and back. And then I gave them to him. He changed the material a little bit, and we ended up mounting these racks. So they're about an inch off the board, 36 so the, inches long to hold the bags. So we'll, so the water can run under, so you're not going to get stuffed every time, you know, water's hitting you. Because we'd seen what happened with the last. Well, yeah. Okay. What? So yeah, so because because water's constantly hitting you, so water's constantly hitting you, so you have your stuff a little bit raised up off the board, so it's not going to be hitting yeah. in your bags. Mm-hmm. And then what bags do you have? Watershed dry bags. Okay. They were the shit. We, I mean, we put them through the ringer. They Watershed dry bags. That's you awesome. can literally submerge them. I, I um, actually brought. It's in the car. I won't bring it out, but you can do whatever they. They never failed. And that's where you keep your tent. That's where you keep your yeah. clothes. That's where you keep your food. Two two dry bags front and back. Yeah. Okay. So we had one. One was a backpack dry bag. The other was a, sort of a Ooh. basic duffel bag. I don't know if that's what you could duffel bag. Yeah. But so then, yeah, we'd have one on the front, one on the back. Those are the bags. And uh, to go back, yeah, to go back to the story, Casey goes over. I'm, I I give him the lifeguard signal, you know, code four. Put it in my my hand on my head. And he go. He gives. He says no. And um, what is I code pad- four? You like that? Code four is all good. That's, okay. You know, That's all good. All good. Yeah. Okay. Hand and on your head. Code four is all head, good. Just like that. that. Scuba divers do the same thing. And he says no. I paddle into him. And I goes, how's? The-? I have footage of this, which is great too. And I go, how, what's? I was go, what's up? He's like, it's broke. And I go, like all the way through. And he goes, all the way through. It's broken. So I paddle up. This is and this is where teamwork that we built throughout the paddle comes in we're out there in the impact zone it's not you don't really talk about it. i throw his bag on my back 
he throws his other pack on his back he holds his board together on the top glassing is still together holds it together with his feet and we make for land how far out were you guys right then you you said a mile mile. i think well to think about it took about 17 minutes to get in at least from the footage yeah which would come out if we're paddling a little slower and the furthest you were out you were telling me before was 12 miles at one point Mm -hmm. why do you go out so far we didn't try to columbia river sucked us out whoa um we could leave long story short board goes over with that wave i brace because i know i'm going over the falls you know get ready and board's laying flat apparently because i felt it and i i'm in this ball you know fetal position going over and i just come down right in the middle of it right i knew it went yeah right it was sending in the impact zone so snapped it so you made it in and then what do you do to get a new board we pull up on land hike over we're in this park we called joe told him hey board broke you know he was actually surprised it didn't happen earlier with all the shit that went down because it was actually a pretty calm situation when it happened compared in comparison to all the other stuff it was but that's that's part of the the process when you you deal with all these situations on a daily basis that when something like that happens it's not it wasn't crazy it wasn't like no one's yelling nothing's going you know you deal with the problem and you you solve you so, solve the problem well, yeah so we call a buddy one of our best friends lifeguarding who paddled from Pat, we know him forever Pat, yeah he got us into paddling and we paddled the whole county with him and he uh we're like hey pat uh what are you doing he's all oh, just woke up from a nap we're all hey we're up in central oregon you think um you could pick us up we got to go get a board at bark shop and he's all yeah yeah i'll, I'll leave in a few Drove up, picked us up the next morning. What a legend. Right? 15-hour yeah. drive. Great friends. Duh, great, that's, great that's friends. That's true friend card. Yeah, he's... he's Yeah, he's, he really pulled out the friend card from your pocket right there. Yeah. Like, hey, man, this is it. I'm, he knows I'm I, pulling it out. Yeah. He knows I do the same for him. I know... Yeah, you. I do it for you, Pat. <laughs> hi, hi, Mom. <laughs> hi, Mom. Uh, Disneyland. Um, yeah, I mean, that happened countless times. Like, got, Corey came up. All these... Friends come up and help you out when you need it, big time. Especially once we made it to the U.S., it was so much easier, more accessible. Wow! But yeah, he picked. And the- what were uh, other things that you needed friends for? Uh, so a board breaks. All right, we need a new board so that we can keep going on this insane excursion. What else? Well, GoFundMe account. Corey set yeah. that up because we weren't going to pay for it. He set it up for the new board. Corey set that up. He was basically he was a part. And one with nature, and Corey was a part, basically, from the beginning. They're on board. They're like, yeah, we'll Which do it, whatever we can to support you. And you don't realize it till Corey Medicine Seaside, Oregon. And we'd gone through, we'd gone through a lot of shit at that point. Mentally, we're in a really weird place. And he met us with another friend, Kevin. Why were you in a weird place? I th- after the Columbia, so the Columbia Bar experience was right mm. before Sea Seaside is on the northern end of Oregon. And I'll, I'll give you some background on that. We... We're paddling towards the Columbia Bar. It's the geographic border between Oregon and Washington. And a week leading up to it, we'd already gone through a lot at that point. A week leading up to it, we met people on shore and every single person, or not every single, but every every day we met somebody a week leading up to it that told us a story about somebody that died, a brother, a sister, a loved one who had died on the bar. Didn't matter if the weather was good or bad. Yeah, literally nonstop people are telling you every day Hey, I know someone who died. It was my brother, sister, 
Like when you say loved one, yeah, yeah everybody. It, you don't realize, but it eventually it gets to you. And I think with a lot of the stuff we'd been through, Casey, Casey legitimately thought that he was gonna die, and he he told me he said, "I know, like I'm, a, I think I'm gonna die, and I know, not I think I'm, I know I'm gonna die. I'm not gonna make it past the bar." It wasn't and, even. Yeah, it was more psychology at that point. I don't know. I, I yeah, I, I wasn't that I thought that I was. I, I knew it. I had a, kind of a ticking time bomb in my head. I said, all right, we're going to go. You called and that was kind sister. of the, Yeah, it was kind of messed. Well, yeah, I called my sister. I didn't want to call my parents, and I told I was like, hey, really sorry. I, I mean, I wish we I – mean, we were close, but I was like, I wish we spent more time together and just – sorry and I want to we'll spend more time when I get back and I want to call my parents and where were you right then we were that was uh the morning we were about to launch but you didn't say you didn't I I heard part of the conversation you didn't launch say from I'm from where Long Beach Washington from Long Beach Washington which is in the southern border of Washington to get to Oregon and Kate, cross it. Casey was talking to my sister and He's like, dude, get out. And he's telling, but I, from what I heard, you didn't say I want to talk to you. And you basically said, I wish we spend more time together. And it was pretty, it was pretty fatalistic. And I had uncertainties myself, just because of what, like the mental buildup. And I mean, think because so many people said that, yeah, that stretch is is too intense, and, and they, a lot of people yeah, can I think, die on it. I think after everything we had gone through already, that it just became. I don't know. I think it was a big step. It was just kind of overwhelming with all this buildup, and I'm. It, it was kind of going insane in a way, but we we had to trust. We have, you know we you make the commitment. We're gonna do it, no matter what. So I kind of accepted. All right, I'm gonna go through with this, but I I know I'm not gonna make it. And that's the point. That's which kind is of kind of it's crazy because we we did, and it wasn't a savage day. Nonetheless, I mean the weather was okay. But obviously, I mean, it gets crazy because we got turned into a nine-hour paddle. So we, we paddled out, and the power – so we, we planned to go three miles out from the bar to avoid the, the graveyard. And the power of the, the river actually took us out about 12 miles. It was kind of – it took us five hours paddling straight towards shore to get in that day. And we basically were in the water. We look at each other, and we're like, holy shit, we are way the fuck out here. And – we're like, all right, I don't like we neither of us. We don't care how long it takes. We're going to hit land. Doesn't matter if it's tomorrow, if it's tonight, whenever it is. And thankfully that day we got in about nine o'clock at night. The sun was still just barely up. And we made and that was a that was a great moment. I mean, but that's yeah. those are the moments you get you you get through that. And you're just like, how the fuck did we get here? You know, it's it's a <laughs> had other people paddled that stretch. No. Well, no, we'll stand okay. up. Stand up. No so one's prone. Stand up. No one's prone that coastline, and I, understandably, I can see why there's not a paddling community there because it's pretty treacherous. Nasty water, still, yeah. I mean, people people had paddled around. We talked to Will Schmidt. He's a guy that did a stand up journey from Canada down to Mexico. So we talked to him, and he gave us that's he gave us the advice. He said, start five miles north of it, and make sure you're you're well outside about three miles, and I, that's where we base that off of. We didn't. Yeah, he gave us a battle plan for it. I'm sure it. he was a gold mine for you. He, right? yeah, he gave us some great I'm, information. Like th- this is one of the things too, where it's such a large stretch of land that you need to you need to 
talk to certain people through different stretches. Mm-hmm. Like it's rare that you're going to get one person who knows all the entire stretch from Alaska to Mexico. Yeah. I don't know that stretch. Like I could give you a good little bit about like where to go in Santa Cruz if you're trying to paddle through here, <laughs> yeah. right? But you're having to hit people up constantly. What kind of um, like research were you guys doing? Like, or, or here's a better mm-hmm. question: like, like who were who were the most valuable resources who you ended up calling on during this trip? Well, I, I read a book by Dennis Dwyer called Inside the Passage Alone, which gave us a alone in the, alone, alone in the on the alone in the passage alone in the passage. Yeah, but he he kayaked it and he laid out a plan for kind of the inside run of that. So we had a decent grasp on it. But it's interesting when you talk to people, a lot of people out there they they don't go in the water unless they're fishing because it it's not the kind of water you want to hang out in. You don't want to play there, right? You know, there's not going to be a big group hanging out in so- southeast Alaska and scares yeah. them they all know someone who died they t- they have weird it's too bad because you go into places like you know you go into a marine store and I'm talking about what we're doing see if get some advice and it's like oh yeah well I remember this guy was all yeah you get a you get a 20 foot uh no what do you say full full when all when you get a 20 foot tidal swing up here you're gonna get a storm so no matter what when you see it on the tide book you're a storm's coming and, we're, and it, it was true which is weird because you don't think about that but that's literally something that happens and they grew up with that and you go okay so we see a 20 foot tidal swing because we're always paying attention to tides you know it'll hit the fan that day but you just have to go and you're paying attention to these tides because on low tide it'll start sucking you out is that right well you well with the islands it'll suck you around the islands exposed to the pacific yeah but you can ride stuff or it'll throw against you like seymour narrows so if you're halfway down if you're going between the island you know that's splitting the mainland it's the island you're going through that that narrow that channel if you are further north than the halfway point you're going to get on an on an ebb tide you're going to get sucked back the direction we're trying to move south you're going to get sucked north and then so that's what you have to plan that with the islands depends on the position of the island as to where the water is on it and where the the currents are crazy right so you're constantly paying attention to what six hours can we make up the most time and have the tides at our backs exactly yeah so we so once you pass a halfway point on an island and it's a ebb tide that's going to suck you out and around towards west essentially but if it's a flood and you're halfway out it's going to push against you and eventually it will suck you around but there's always these tidal transition points so you really that came into play a lot and we didn't understand that until you're in it we forget about that down here we forget that there are 20 foot tides oh yeah yeah with six you know here it's like a whole different animal a six between a house cat and a wild african tiger (laughs) (laughs) we get six foot tides i'm like oh wow it's a six foot high tide here that's huge for us that's huge 20 foot is like perfect storm shit it like yeah it's jacked up Describe that for me. What one of these tidal swings well, looks like? I mean, maybe a okay. So we went. We go one time. We know there's a 20 foot the log tide. We're, yeah, we're inside the Grenville Channel, I think, the or a little bit Prince Rupert, I think. After where's that? No, sorry, um, Princess Royal Princess Royal Island. It's south of Grenville Channel. It's still northern British Columbia, and we we know it's a 20 foot tide. So we set up way above the water. We're looking down on it you know a couple stories above we wake up at 1 a.m water's at our tent line which is weird because earlier in the day you're looking 
down at this. It's totally empty, and then it fills up that but much. That night, night, that night, we were actually we were on it. We stayed at this by an old logging camp, and we knew the tide. We knew it was a king tide, and we look at the. I mean, hindsight. This is where it comes to gear, but the the island where we were was so swampy and steep. It was swampy, and then it became so steep you couldn't put a tent down. So we camped as high as we could, but then it was a king tide that night. We end up up at the middle of the night because the tide is the the ocean's literally up to our tents where you know at, when we landed at low tide it was 20 feet below so we're up at night you know oh shit is this gonna hit our tents and we picked our tents up and waited for the tide to transition back down where and it, it did go where our tents were that was, yeah. a, that was a weird yeah, you, you know move up past it that's when you you're like oh shit you know like you said seven feet six feet is a huge tide swing for us that's massive and then you go to 20 20 foot tidal swing it's a whole different ball game um what would you see when the tide would go out could you tell where the high tide line was yeah you can still kind of chart it from the debris you okay. can take a good yeah, look just like see you know you're yeah, yeah you seaweed. see the you see the seaweed and the shells and that Same kind of concept, thing. But still the scale is what changes it it's confusing i mean one well was that right before we went to hartley bay we get taken in we saw a huge storm coming. yeah it's the night after that and we're looking at our chart so we were sharing a single man tent it was my tent was leaking it got nasty just because i tore it on some stuff so we're stuffed in a single man tent we're wet for two days and we see a huge storms coming in it's gonna rain 100 millimeters in one day which is insurmountable compared to california you know we've been in drought so we change our route we go up to hartley bay and we get taken in by the nicest people ever up there. Yeah, the Gitgat Cam Cam and Eva First Hills. Nations Gitgat tribe. We paddle. We tell we, me the story. Yeah, we come off a rough night, a rough couple days. You know, we've just been cold and wet. We're not sleeping too much. Everything's soaked. And we pat. We we still. So we had a GPS when we started. It eventually it died on us about a month in. And we see a town Hartley Bay. It was also on the on the hydrographic charts. And we said, okay, let's go there. Maybe we can get something there. We're sick of eating this dehydrated food, which, you know, a lot of people say is good. And eventually, after a while, it's awful. After a month, it's bad. So we go, maybe we're going to get maybe a a roof structure to sleep under. Maybe we can find some food. Who knows what's going to happen? We pull up to a tent. So we start paddling in. We get up to the dock, and a boat had just pulled in. Uh, It was Marvin and George. And I go, hey, is there anywhere to get food around here? (laughs) This guy, Marvin, just looks at me and goes, no, there's, there's nothing. And it's fun. it's a it's a, it's a really it's a great place. Explain the the, t- the neatest thing about this town is there are no cars. It's boardwalk. It's 150 people, all boardwalk on this island. Prince Rupert or what's the nearest? Probably Prince Rupert's 100 miles away. So there's nothing in there. It's amazing because they it's just they live out on their own. You know, a shipping container will bring in stuff once in a while, but really they're self-sustaining out there so we go up he george we did start, they knew they, no one knew you were coming no one knew we were coming no clue. we didn't we didn't plan on it and then we pull up and we we start talking to george and marvin and george goes well you know if you go up to this house cam's house you might be able to get a bag of chips and a soda and we're like that's that's gold we are just like we are so stoked about that so then we end up we walk up we walk up to cam's house we find his house we knock on the door and his wife Eva answers, and she I don't know I don't know how she just goes well now that you're here you have to stay for dinner, and we walk in they're hosting a few doctors doing work out there, and they had an absolute feast prepared salmon and salmon rice. everywhere it's it's a full on feast and she told us our eyes were just shocked because we're just 
wet, cold, we haven't had a proper meal in so long, and you're just so excited. We eat with them. They literally say, hey, huge storm coming, which we knew. We'll set you up in a uh, wood shop. Was it a... Yeah, it was way more than that. We had a wood-burning stove in there. Wood-burning stove in there, dry. So we spent two days there, and they put us up, fed us. They said, what's what's ours is yours. That, and that's, you can have whatever you that's need. Hu- like, that's huge. That's something... It's kind of crazy. When people really take you in and save your life and give you so much hospitality, it just it gives you hope and humanity. And that what was, did their home look like? Their their home it was it was you know a house a, a nice house built on the on Hartley Bay and you know he George said go up to the big white house and we found I mean and then they had a Alba it was such such a cool experience they were the nicest people I can't even like express the gratitude I have towards these people and I mean, the next day they had a community dinner and we spent the time with with Cam out back in the smokehouse while he smoked salmon. He peppered salmon for six yeah. hours for a hunt, the whole community. They then you go into the big house and we had this huge dinner and everybody's there. What it kind was, of people were there? The, the, whole, t- the entire t- tribe. Yeah, the clan. The tr- you know. get get. Yeah, yeah, the get get. They were all they were all there. Everybody from the community and the doctors that were there. And the, they were hosting it for the doctors. And it was I. They I mean I can't I, I can't express the gratitude I have towards those people. They were so so good to us. To, to total strangers. I mean they don't know who we are, where we came from. Okay, you can come in, have dinner at our house, anything you want. Just ask us, and you can you know the fridge the refrigerator is open to you. You can stay here. It's a place that's dry and warm, and that's that's funny. Yeah, we that's amazing. We knew we'd have a window to leave in and. You almost don't want to because we're suffering so much before that. We're like, oh, I, I just want to stay. But you get the window, and it, we said goodbye, and it was time to hit it. It was yeah. time to go again, but it was just go. such a – it brought us back up. It brought the whole camaraderie. Everything, you know, felt better, another level, and it, it was just a, a lesson right there. And what were some, some more details about that situation? I want to, I want to have that picture in my mind. The, what were some things that really stood out to you about that whole thing? The, the whole town was attached by boardwalk and the, the people, That's it's it. such a tight knit community. You go to a big city and it's, Oh, don't leave your boards out there. Don't leave your gear there. You go to a town like that and they're just, Oh, just leave it on the dock. You're going to find nobody's going to touch it there. It's, it's such a tight knit community it's it's pretty it's just some amazing to experience yeah, that we were there 15 minutes and we're standing out there getting dry we thought we were going to sleep in the firehouse initially which um so marvin offered up and he's one sure, of the yeah. elders and he said you can stay there but these people walk up and they're all hey uh yeah what are you guys doing like the whole town's talking about it and we're all we've been here 15 minutes but they all <laughs> word of mouth it goes around and it was a surreal experience Never forget it. I bet, man. Man, that's so cool. That is so cool. I think when you're doing something like that too, and you tell people what you're doing, they have a they they have a little bit of respect and empathy for you. Especially when you yeah we you know they didn't know we didn't tell oh we've been wet for a couple days and everything sucks. No, that's that's said in your eyes as you enter the dock. But you meet people. Yeah, yeah, you meet people and they see the food. Right, you're all what? And it's it's just. You, you would never have these experiences without, you know, traveling like we did or going on the expedition like we did and having these experiences. You so just don't have that. And if you, you don't. You, you don't. don't. And 
there's fear involved in what you did. There's needing to overcome uh, being down. There, but there's not the neuroses and constant buzz of anxiety that you feel in society. Like what you replace those feelings with is real life, right? Because we have this fight or flight mentality in our brains where it's like, where it's like. Oh my god, like, someone just sent me a mean email. I need to react to that in some crazy way. Like, oh my god, like, because it's it's this same animalistic, like, fuck, this is real danger. But it's not real danger. And then as soon as you start entering any type of real danger, as you do, like, dude, if someone sends you a mean email... I'm sure that doesn't matter to you anymore. <laughs> like you're worrying about food and water and getting to your next destination and not quitting when you have a nice family that takes you in and a warm fire. Like it could have been so easy for you to, to at that point be like, you guys know what? Like we did something cool. Like let's just stop right now and have Corey come pick us up. <laughs> well, that I mean, that was never that's a happen. Just as a side note, like Corey what, Jones. What I, what I, yeah, we yeah, Corey sorry, Jones yeah. in the house. That, I just want I'll offer two cents really quickly but I could tell that would never happen and that's why I was so supportive of it right off the bat I wasn't even really that good of friends with Ryan and Casey I, I kind of knew them we talked about going on I guess some quote unquote adventures growing up but honestly I'd done one cleanup with Casey we organized a beach cleanup for our community because they're both state lifeguards down in Oceano and then aside from that they introduced this concept of the paddle to me and initially I was just like holy fuck you know what I mean? Like my father was raised in Alaska. I grew up watching Outdoor Life Network and things like that. And I was just like, you're going you're gonna to do a prone paddle? I didn't even know prone paddling was a thing. I'm kind of an outsider on that area. But I knew how just gnarly these brothers were and how competitive they were with each other. And I kind of shared a similar thought of like, oh, they might fight. But as they expressed, they grew together and they realized that was just counterproductive to the goal. But what I could also tell... And out of everything I'd experienced was that they were willing to like stake their existence on the accomplishment of a goal. And I think that is communicated through that Columbia bar story where, you know, they Casey was pretty convinced of death. Ryan had some some concerns on it, too. And yet they did it anyways. You know, and they went for it and, and they, they had that commitment to just keep moving until they either got it done or they died. And that was the ultimate journey. I saw him a couple of days later and I mean, I could see how worn they were. I, mean, I, I could really see it in their eyes and honestly they just smelt like piss <laughs> and then and, and they look <laughs> and they looked like some of the most rugged motherfuckers I left like that I did like that I'd ever seen you know they left and they looked like a couple Abercrombie models you know what I mean like I didn't know they could grow beards or anything like that and they were just the dirtiest dudes imaginable their eyes were they were just worn and they were so blown away to see Kevin and just people they knew from back home but like I that was the first time it really triggered with like triggered with me the shit they were going through because there weren't spot phones like they just weren't in communication with anyone so I, I guess that's my sense on the whole thing is that ultimately they weren't going to be in a house like that and quit you know they weren't they were reaching into the depths of who the fuck they are and it was pretty cool to see that so, uh, yeah, they'll be back. Yeah, yeah, I think the idea, you know, we talked yeah. about, <laughs> we, you talked about being back home and there's a bubble that I didn't realize existed of safety and comfort and familiar things, you know, and when you get outside of that, it changes you and it 
going back to it, you finally recognize it. But out there, it's just a different mindset, different world. We don't, and that kind of when we broke this first board, heavy going back because you don't, yeah, you Isn't don't realize it. Weird it. how you need to change your external environment to change your internal environment. Oh yeah, I always trip out on that. How a lot of times you need to go somewhere and see something else for yourself to change. And that's the age old thing of like, oh, yeah, you never left his town. Like, it's just it's strange on a human level that we need that. Like, we need to put ourselves in these like, like, ultimately what it is is a coming of age story. It's a story of becoming men. We don't have that in our societies. I was in South Africa last summer, and even in uh, in Cape Town, there are these completely segmented areas of society where there's white folks, and then you have these townsha- townships where there are Zulu tribes living in the townships. And when the the boys become adolescent, like, they need to to leave their tribe and they need to go survive on their own for weeks on end and then when they come back if they come back successfully they're men but we've kind of removed that from our culture where we don't oh, yeah. have these these coming of age experiences that are culturally enforced so we need to set them up for ourselves and yep. it's so cool that we come from this part of the world where that kind of beauty in nature is so accessible to us. Yeah, it's I it's def, it's so it's something that's been been lost. I think the culture I don't I don't I think the culture overall is softening and I think that's something that huge has hugely been lost in society. And when Casey talked about going back for the broken board for me, the, the toughest part, we, we went back, we picked up the board from Joe after he broke his board in Oregon. And that one of the toughest parts for me of the entire experience was going back, going back to Oregon. And I and we were, we're back at home and I, I was like, I was like, oh God, let's stay another week. Let's just stay another week. And because mm-hmm. you have all these heavy experiences and going, you can't even imagine, you step back home, you don't realize how many things you took for granted. Life is food, water, warmth. You go back, you know, everyone's got these first world problems. And that, that really feels like, that feels like an enlightening experience when you go, that's not even, that's not a problem. Like, you're fine. You've got, you know, you've got food, you got a roof over your head, you're okay. But so when we came back and we stepped back into the reality we were before, going back, I remember I was looking for any excuse not to go. I'm looking at the weather report you know maybe it's going to be bad so we should wait another week and i look at everything and it you know it's like no it's going to be good we need to go and i i i, I wanted to go back so badly and i i remember casey casey actually spearheaded yeah, i well, we i told ryan i was all we we have to go back because it i think both it was hard because you you find that safety bubble and it's nice it feels comfortable you get you you enjoy the safety the adventures out there it took a while to want to strive for that more at the time but in that moment it was you don't want to go back because yeah. you realize how you know how you're going to suffer when you go back and that, and i remember looking at ryan i was all dude we have to go and he's up and he was he's pretty yeah you were broken up about it <laughs> ryan was, yeah. hey no ryan 
He was oh, pretty shattered. Off, he was pretty shattered. Oh, by that's it. bullshit. No, 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 wait, wait. He was pretty shattered about it, and I literally shattered. Shattered. Okay. Wait. Great words. You know what? It's, he was it's, like, he was whimpering right. like a dog. Okay, but let me go, let me go to this. Okay. Wimp. Oh, you're a fuck. Okay, I'm dude. sorry. Now this is, is this is some this is some this real, is real stuff shit. though, yeah. man. No, this is this is real life. This is real stuff. Like if if you're. If you're crying and you're going insane on this trip, that is legitimate human response yeah. to what you're both trying to and pull yeah, off. We were we weren't crying and going. We were going a little insane, but I didn't have an emotional response to anything we'd been. I mean, you don't have an emotional response, and then we came back, and it was pretty heavy being back home, especially because we were all we come back home, kind of staring off in the distance. We're pretty bushed at that point, and we just don't fit in with everything back everything's different it's weird i couldn't sleep that night ryan said he was felt like he was sleeping in someone else's home you can't you just can't you can't relate to the experience and people that are living the life you you were once in back home the reality that we used to have i couldn't relate to anybody and i when so when casey's like we have to go back and i was like you know, I'm looking for an excuse, and I, I walked into the bathroom at the house, and I look in. I, I, it was. It sounds so cheesy and cliche. I really, I look in the mirror, and I had the thought to myself, like, who do you want to be? And that's that's when I knew we were going back. And I walked out, and I was like, Yeah, we're going. We're yeah, leaving in the morning. I didn't see him for 15 minutes, and Ryan popped out. That like, was more like three minutes. All right. Fact is, he came out, and he was all right. Let's go. And we, literally that day, packed our shit. Got our ride up and went back up and launched from Pier Jetty parking lot number four, right where we came up in that. And that's date. That was earlier. Yeah. Those mirror moments. When you talk about coming those lifetime mirror moments yeah. where you have to look at yourself in the mirror, they're, they're, they're <sighs> fucked. When they're you talk about those, like, you know, fucked. coming of age, the manhood stories, that moment for me was so tough, but I said, you know what? This is. And when you commit yourself to someone or something, bigger than yourself or other than yourself it has so much more meaning to you and i if i quit you know i can't quit on my brother i i couldn't do that you know you get to a point where you're like i I will die to accomplish the goal i will die for my brother and i'm not i'm not going to quit so i come out and say we're going back and for me that was it's kind of like the manhood ceremony you coming of age and once i once i did that going back on the water after everything we'd been through, it was like, I don't give a shit what happens. Like, we're, we're getting there. Like, nothing, you know, you kind of have this, you're not invincible, but you're like, mentally, you're in an unstoppable state. You're like, fuck it, I'm going, you know, I'm going for it, and nothing matters. Have you ever heard of the Iron Cowboy? No. You guys no. know about this guy? No. no. The guy who ran 50 Ironmans in yeah. 50 states in 50 days? Mm-hmm. He's a, he's a complete savage, but the way that he talked about it was that the first few were the hardest. Those first few days were absolutely the hardest, and then his body acclimated and his mind acclimated and just decided, and, and he basically describes it like, I just decided that I was going to do it, and my body decided that I was going to do it. Was it all the same for you guys? Like, once you made it to a certain point, then you decided, I'm going to make it this whole way? We from when the board broke and we came back. Well, yeah, I, I'm just wondering like where that that long tempo went. 
I, I got one one side. Corey's note. back. Corey's Sorry. back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, I got I got one side notice. Corey, do mammals have twins? Come on, yeah. we got. Uh, did yeah. we decide that? So <laughs> did we figure this out? Well, technically, if you think of any litter, they're all fraternal twins. So that's that's a common thing that we figured out through our research My and. Honors. Otters, that wasn't a specific thing that popped up. Sorry. There was very little accurate research on the issue. But, uh, yeah, aside from armadillos, they can give upwards of four identical twins. Aside from that, not common in the animal kingdom. So they're they're an outlier. Um, Side note of significance, (laughs) though. (laughs) Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. That makes so much sense. Yeah. But uh, side note of significance regarding that decision to go back to Oregon. So based on their initial itinerary, which I want to say at the point of them breaking their board, what were you guys, like a month and a half behind? Yep. Yeah. Right around, yeah, a month and a half behind. So they break their boards, but on their initial itinerary, they intended to be coming through Pismo Beach on July 4th, or 4th of July. Now, like super idealistic, right? But they break their boards in their home, and it's July 3rd, the day they decide to go back. So that's like just another little piece of significance in that decision where they made together to go back of, of that commitment. Because that they easily could have at least stayed one more day. I expected that, but they were just like, we're gone. I'm like, what? Like, you guys wanted to be here for the fourth. So just that level of like, fuck it. Like, I, I think they were pretty committed. And I maybe that it, relates to that decision that just to decide. It, I think it was one of those things where I think we both looked out my reality was on the water so if we were stagnant not doing anything we weren't moving towards accomplishing our goal and your reality is what is that goal what we were living in out there so leaving the bubble once we made that decision and we both said all right we're going there was feeling content you're just okay we're going we're good and things things after i mean we i broke a board after casey broke a board i broke a board off cape mendocino and nothing after I felt for me personally nothing after that seemed like that big of a deal like going back it was my ultimate for me showing of commit I mean we committed when we took off but that was the ultimate commitment and that that was just to me like okay I know who I am and I'll never quit until we accomplish the goal we we came a long way since Ryan lost a glove day four (laughs) (laughs) they'll say that that shows kind of who we were and we were individuals. We hadn't came together, and we were literally just doing everything inefficient. We're yelling at each other. I'm pissed off at Ryan's mental mishap, and that's who we were at the time. And by the time we broke that first board, we had came together as a team. We knew what we were going to go for. Yeah. So we knew we were going to suffer. That was a hard thing going back up, but you're ready. Yeah. Do you have something? Oh, no, I was just going to touch on I mean, Casey said we're coming together, and we're going to. We're gonna suffer, and I when you when you're with your brother and you suffer together, it builds camaraderie. That builds, that builds team. I mean, nothing's more fun than suffering with your best friends. You know, yeah, <laughs> that's a great time. You know? It's it's one of that's those experiences. It's one of those experiences that's not fun in the moment, but it's really fun when you talk about yeah. it after the fact. Yeah. It's a fight, and you have to make it fun during. You have to make it as fun as you can. It's like possible when you're if let's say I mean it's happened to I think both of us. You're you're pretty good friends with a guy and then you get in this big group fight against another group and you're brawling after the brawl you guys are you're tighter right you build that suffering together and that's camaraderie yep 100 percent, 100 percent um what about the serene moments were there a lot were there any serene moments out there oh definitely oh gulf islands i mean Mm. we 
there's a okay so the olympic range in washington creates a banana belt in the cascades for the, for the, the yeah Vancouver the Cas- creates this banana belt for southeast vancouver island and we hit this point and all of a sudden it's may water temp 60 degrees 70 outside we're jumping gulf islands and there's artesian wells and there's people and you could stay there forever there's berries out there we're just saying hey we should never leave it's perfect. You get, I mean, yeah, you get, I mean, even in the cave, I felt like it's a serene moment. You're out, and we're out in areas, I mean, the, the sad thing is you do see human impact. You really do, wherever you are on the coast. I noticed that, but you get to these areas that are so beautiful. You're in the rainforest, and I mean, Casey talked about this when you, you read old books about, you know, Mark Twain, and they're so descriptive about their surroundings. And I think, especially in modern day with all the technology and all the distractions, you lose you lose track of that. You don't have that insight or that realization of your surroundings. But when you're out there and you're in these environments and there aren't those distractions, you you soak it in. And it's like, it is just, that's that's where you have those these romantic ideas about nature. And it's true. It's like, it's truly amazing to be out there in those moments. Yep. The bad days teach you how much better the good ones are. So you appreciate them that much more. Uh, it's yeah. funny. Well, I always say, people go, oh, was it? crazy and i say well if you spend seven months on the pacific you're going to get the worst weather and you're going to get the best weather so you're going to have the best days of your life and you're going to have the worst days and it's kind of this roller coaster and something you go through there emotionally and i mean the weather everything is going to roll and it's going to be cyclic and you're going to get good days and bad days yeah and serenity these like just beautiful euphoria. moments you, get, you know you get pure euphoria in a lot of moments and it's it is cool you don't you don't experience a natural environment it's harder and harder in today's world i think to experience that you just have you just have to make more of an effort i should say and when you do get out there it's it's pretty amazing what kind of sea life did you see we saw we saw pods of dolphins hunting together we saw gray whale gray, calves, gray whale calves. all around us coming to nia bay that was pretty surreal you we saw everything orcas sharks seals i have no grizzly bears <laughs> no Black grizzly bears, bears though which are beautiful and they're skittish and people get worried about them but they're we're <laughs> don't freak out we try to keep a low profile except yeah. the first time we're, we we're up bear. on it we're up well yeah and then, uh, then <laughs> to talk fun. to that we're like that paranoia and we're up on an, a little island just tidal island separated from the mainland oh, where you know God. it's grizzly bear territory <laughs> and we're freaked out and the middle you know we just kind of settle into our sleeping bags we hear a bunch of sticks cracking at night and we're so you know we're parent we're these naive california surfers like dude what the fuck was that and we were freaking out i'm sleeping with the shotgun and we we casey's got a flare gun we we pop we're you know we hear all these sticks cracking we're, in the tent. we're like dude what was that uh, we so, need to check it out we're like that's dude like in our minds it's a fucking massive grizzly bear so we <laughs> so on, th- on three we're like all right on three we're gonna pop up here it is ready one two three we pop out of the tent and go yep. ah! it's a marmot it's a it's, it's a, a martin. martin a martin it's a martin literally just staring the size at us. of a house cat <laughs> staring at us like who the fuck are these guys and we're screaming we got a shotgun pointing out he's the it's size so of a house stupid. cat <laughs> it's like, what it looks so like stupid. what are we like what are we and then we just feel like total idiots we're like are you kidding I me mean, it was way more afraid of us we have lights and everything we're freaking out and it's this little thing it was that's so it was funny just, it was hysterical that's like you, couldn't, you couldn't make that one up mm-hmm. no. <laughs> <laughs> and uh ridiculous. you guys are using gopros to film yeah that one that shot was kind of blacked 
out because I just popped the GoPro on. Oh no! Well, we I was do thinking, have GoPro. Footage. I was talking about it in footage. general. I was, yeah. you, guys, you guys filmed this yeah. whole thing. So we filmed. Yeah, we filmed. I had I brought a my 7D Mark II. So we had that in a in a uh, Pelican case. Yeah, we had that and then GoPros out on the boards, which we actually lost. It sucked. Three. We lost the first two. Go. We lost, lost three, three, but we lost the, the first two. We were idiot. We're. we're we didn't know what we were doing. We didn't have them. We had them on goosenecks, not strapped on, no floating backs on them. We lost the first two in the first stretch, and then we lost the last. The Truth we lost the told. third one coming into the U.S. But Truth be told, gear run. We never did a gear run before we went. No. Yeah. So we, you know, there's so much planning preparation. Like we we're so we're committed to accomplishing the goal, but we. We never did a run with weight on the paddle boards before we left. We didn't do a single paddle with more than the weight of the well, racks and we ourselves. Didn't, we didn't even have all of our gear until two days before. And Patagonia shipped over some stuff, and we got other stuff. We got stuff in Alaska, and we didn't even we didn't even get the run through. It was go time, so I went right. So yeah, we had a lot. To and did out you here. download footage, or did you just keep all the footage on the cards? Yeah, so I had an external hard drive in okay. the in the Pelican case, and we would hit. We hit Prince Rupert. We hit any of these towns. I'd go to the library, whatever, wherever we were, whatever. I could get computer access, and I would download the footage from the cards onto the hard drive. Okay. And now you guys have a ton of footage. Yeah. We've 60, got it. 60 hours? We, About 60 we, um, hours. We thought, yeah. About 60 hours. Yeah, <laughs> 50, we, it's, a, it's an okay amount. We've got a decent amount of footage. I mean, 60 hours. It's not a 1,000. But I think we shot a lot of stuff. I think we shot... I hope we shot the important stuff. I think we pulled it out. I mean, obviously there are times I learned so much about the process. I mean, like I wish I shot so much stuff, but oh, yeah. that I didn't get. But I think we got a lot of really and we really lost cool stuff. the GoPro footage from the very beginning, which sucked. But you learn. Yeah, you learn, what especially you when it's costing you five hundred a pop. Yeah, because GoPro didn't come through. <laughs> <laughs> um. I'm sorry. I get. I hate. It's all good. It's all good. Well, I mean, you guys are. Well, you know what? I mean, like, you guys are are the best brand ambassadors for any company you're using. I mean, every everything you're using on this trip, you're using to its full capacity. And if you decide that you're not using it, you're going to get rid of it. Am I right? Absolutely. That was the big thing is you get the gear to solve problems that the elements create. We were talking about that earlier with Corey and we're saying you have all these problems that the elements and the weather is going to create and you need gear and it's critical that you get the right gear and do it the right way. Yeah. Yeah. And you drop, we drop, we started with about 70 pounds on each board. Yeah. And we, you know, you realize things, you drop things, you go, we sold the, we sold the shotgun in Canada. I mean, we didn't check in with <laughs> in Canadian Customs. We arrived in Prince Rupert on Easter Sunday oh and you know, it's big Canadian Customs is a big deal. Yeah. And we knocked on, we called all the numbers, we knocked on all the doors, but when we had to go, we left and we didn't check in, but we, we ended up selling the shotgun. We had to drop a ton of weight. We sold the shotgun in Canada to a guy. We sold it in a motel room. It was kind of funny. And he, he goes, yeah, you know, they're kind of weird about guns here. And he runs out and throws it in the trunk of his car. We exchange our money. <laughs> he was a good dude. He was yeah, a good yeah, dude. Yeah, he was a good guy. He's a good guy. We're good. He's but a good guy. That's no name. The thing he was a good guy. With food, we figured, we figured out that you can only bring so much for volume. Weight, okay, we can get through it. But with volume, you can only bring so much. So you plan for days, and that's when you go hungry because you you can't hit all the days with weather. And yep. we ended up... Well, we ran out of food in the first leg. That was just one day. We didn't have anything. 
and then we food rationed in Oregon for three days. So we brought. Jeez, the amount of life skills you two learned on this trip is phenomenal. Um, you know I want to have you. Yeah, oh, parting words. We've been doing this for oh, parting, for a yeah. bit, oh, but sure. uh, I wasn't. I was gonna do parting words. I was gonna tell like a funny, stupid story. <laughs> tell oh, a funny, f- funny, stupid story. Funny, stupid story. We were out there. Are you? Are you? Do you cut this stuff? No, I don't. Oh, t- no, we're going. We're going. Well, I was. Just, I, I just know that you guys need to hit the road. But I mean, we can keep going. I don't. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't mind keeping going. I mean, I, <laughs> I have no. I'm time greatly enjoy, I'm greatly enjoying this. I don't, have to, you know, right, right now we're. I don't. Can I mention this? Sure. I, we're, yeah. We're, we're on a beach. We are. We're food rationing. We're like, oh, this sucks. We're gonna need a food pack a day, and and a uh, in the in we have a of saying the ocean giveth and the ocean taketh. <laughs> And that we woke up the next morning in a nice can of Copenhagen long cut had rolled up on the beach and we're food rash. We've got nothing to do all day. We already read our books, which is a terrible time when you when you finish your books, you've got nothing to do. And a can rolls up and we're like, This is you know, the ocean giveth today a full can of chew just sitting there unchewed. Some crab fisherman he was, dumped it. <laughs> was dumping it. No, he was doing the tut, tut, tut. And then he just dropped it. He's like, oh, no. <laughs> and, he and then it. that can of Copenhagen just floated its way. Full yeah, can. He did, Full can. He Full did can. not know what he had done, but he he brought it up. We were just so excited. I mean, we, Message we finished it pretty quick. Message in a bottle. Ooh. We were laughing. I mean, this is the weird thing. The tide doesn't come up that much. 40 knot. 40 to 50 knot winds gusting when we were held down there so we had this you know makeshift shelter blown up so our tents don't rip and can rolls up unopened perfect and we're just (laughs) everybody's got everybody's got something that helps a little bit you know but uh, not everybody sorry every you know you know i'm picturing the like jimmy chin and renan up in Maru on day 15 <laughs> and they just bust out their little cigarette and they, t- they smoke was, their cigarette yeah. on like, like one of the last days that they're like you really need something I swear because this is really hard up here you need those little things like yeah. you need those little things that yeah. will keep you going yeah remember when whatever it is he was all we're out of we're out of smokes and we're out of rolling papers in Miro, yeah we're out of rolling papers and but it's funny because well it probably won't be added but the fact is a can of chew in Canada, twenty six dollars. Where we bought it, we quit. Yeah. yeah, we bought one, but then we're we're done. Bought okay, we bought some rolling tobacco, you know, because you need something when you're beat. Like when we were food rationing, we went through the can, made five miles, and then we were held held down for three days. So we were just rolling. It was cigarettes and coffee for three days. That was it. Not eating. You just <laughs> you're just riding on that. Here's a truck driver from Detroit? What is this? <laughs> Just surfers from Central California, you know. That's so how cigarettes we and coffee, there. man. That's in Ispo in Munich. We're going to be like, yeah, you know, we did it the European way. Cigarettes and coffee every day. It was really a it was a weight loss thing. You know, we we gained so much weight over the course of the paddle, we figured, how are we going to drop it? Cigarettes and coffee. Oh, that's, that's disgusting. Yeah. That's disgusting. You guys are such savages. You should tell him about as you get as you got like into San Francisco and into like you should tell him about how you got into Corey San Jones. Yeah, back. Hey, uh, like San Francisco and into California and through LA and San Diego, and as he actually like got to the to the Mexican border, like yeah, because that, that's oh, a transition. I would like, yeah, heavy that's, on the, that's something all I can talk about with parting words on this is all that we, you know, you get a point conception was essentially our last hurdle. That's our, we called it the promised land. We get around point conception. We are in the promised land, Southern California, 
got the Channel Islands for protection. And that was that was the best. I mean, you go from that, you know, we, we started out as surfers having, you know, you get out from surfing, you're eating beer and fish tacos. We we get out every day after, put you know, putting out and we're eating these shitty dehydrated meals. We get down to Southern California and it's like, all right, beer and fish tacos, you know. Crab cakes and Dude. football. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what, what Maryland, Maryland does. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> <laughs> Wait, can we talk about Surf Beach real quick? Do you know Surf Beach? Yeah. And they have yeah. all of those attacks, right? <laughs> so it was kind of our last hurdle getting around Point Conception. It's so true. Fish tacos, you would call them fish tacos and beer. That's yeah, what California does. Oh, yeah. But um, it, it was kind of our last hurdle, Surf Beach, October Surf Beach. It's classic shark attack zone. We're all geared up. We go that day. I mean, California's in a drought. It's raining that day. It's fogged in. You see, we know about Surf Beach from surfing in that area forever. You see the sign that says, fatal shark attacks here. We're crossing the railroad. Fogged in. The light is blinking red. There's no train. We're just thinking, dude, this is a sign. We didn't say anything, but we both knew this is a sign. Don't go. But it was kind of, all right, let's go. But everything's just going shark, shark, shark. But... As you know, as we did, all those other you, you, know, you go, you get it done. But we get to Southern California, we're going through, and and then at a certain point, you know, obviously we get to the final day of the paddle. And it's it's so weird. It's the final day. It's like it's just it's like any other day. We're getting on the water. We're gonna put one hand in front of the other, and we're gonna paddle to our goal for the day. It didn't feel like we're gonna paddle to the end of this. But it's it's your daily goal. And the only thing different it, that was different is that we've got. A great group of friends. You got family down there and some friends that are filming. You got, you know, people doing some audio. And it was, that was cool. It's just, it didn't feel, it's, it's really, it's weird. It's anticlimactic um, when you finish. But so that, that day is going on. We get, we had a great group of some, there's a couple cool girls. Um, was it Jess and Carter and then Scott Dietrich, who was a lifeguard lieutenant in Laguna Beach who paddled with us. Really, it was a great group three other people with us they broke off as we made it for our last 10 miles towards the border and we so we get down there the, there's a boat out with us Corey's on the boat uh kellen's on the boat julie's on the boat colton's on the boat colin's on the boat uh, michelle's dad is on the boat and we're and, yeah um, so we're, we're headed down there we get to the border fence it's kind of it's crazy you know you think of, you have this goal in your mind for over half a year you get to the border fence and it's fine. We we get so close. You know, we hear, we see border. It's weird. There's a fence coming out of the water. You know, I you know we knew what it looked like, but it's weird being there in person. There's a huge bull ring on the other side of Tijuana. We can hear mariachi music playing. Border patrols on the beach, and we come into our approach to the the border fence. Well, we co- talked about the guy. I mean, we come in. This guy's standing down there. Border patrol comes down. It was just very. That's after we crossed. Yeah, but well, the thing is, we go to approach, and you, it's more than any line. It was a finish line. You look out, and you see the wall. You see the road. You hear the music on the other side. There's Mexico. There's California. And you cross it. And it's it was a welcoming feeling, but at the same time, we look over at each other, and it's that adventure creeping in again. I'm looking over, and I see what's around the next point. Like, what what's over there? Who is over there? What are you going to do? What's down... 15 miles down is Rosarito. What's beyond that? We don't know. And it's kind of that anticlimactic. There's a sign. There's people. But you keep looking. And they don't know what's going through your head. But you're thinking, we could keep going. 
<laughs> why why not it, it was just so it's true it, yeah. it's the curiosity that's driving you and you just say i want more adventure you get to that point you need more and for the past half a year it's every you know we would get to see you know we get to jump onto that curiosity what's around the corner what's the next adventure what's going to happen and then you get to that point what is well you know what's around the corner but we've accomplished the goal and you do have that thought maybe we should just keep going <laughs> maybe we maybe you know there's some people on the beach there to greet us but you know fuck it let's keep paddling on despite all that i think you it get was on almost- that you get on the iron cowboy tempo yeah. you're on the 49th state the iron cowboy yeah you're you're looking down at the line. You're, yeah, everybody's thinking you're going to be done. It was almost, I'd say, 20, 80, 20. We keep going just because. Yeah. The draw, I don't know, just I, after I, all of it. I have one final thought on it, too. And hey, back. Uh, wh- when I went up there with our good friends, Colin and Colin Nearman and Colton Haynes, and they, they helped film on the project a decent amount. We met them up in Bolinas, and it was the section right before they had paddled over. Uh, the the San Francisco like stretch and across the Golden Gate Channel and things like that and and for me personally and I feel like for Colin and Colton like actually watching that happen I I was one of the like for an experience that wasn't even mine it was one of the like heaviest experiences of my life you know what I mean just watching them cross that and and just that bridge and that city and just these two brothers just like out crossing that channel on a pretty choppy day seeing a tanker come in and just thinking that they started in Alaska and that they still had to go to Mexico. <laughs> and the the fact is, like, visiting them in Oregon, that was an, that was an 18-hour drive, and I started six hours north of the border. And then they also started in Alaska, which, well, you know, was twice that distance. And it, it was just, I can't even, for me, just to witness that and to have it be as impactful as it was, I can't even, like, imagine... Yeah, on a human-to-human level. Perspective, they saw the entire coast. You just did. You saw the entire coast. That's a. It's well, kind of neat driving it. We come up here. Yeah. You know, we visit you and we see all this stuff and saying, "Oh, we hit every. I've seen every stretch of the coastline. It's pretty good." But know, you know what? <laughs> it's a big world out there. <laughs> that's, that's what's, a, ar- what's around the next corner? What's around the next corner? I'm gonna um, I'm gonna leave you guys with that, but. Uh, I want to have you on again and where can people find you right now on the social I, I was going to be like oh Pismo Beach be, California Pismo we'll Beach. Be you can um, find at the North American Paddle at on the Instagram. North American Paddle yeah we'll be speaking we'll be speaking in Munich at ISPO in February so I don't know if, if anyone's in Munich at that time you know we'll be yeah there. we few more potentially lined up so we'll be doing that and keep updating and there's more adventures to come there's more on the Thanks table for coming right in. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for you. having us. Thanks for the stories. Thanks, Cal. Hey, before you take off, please take one minute and give this show a rating on iTunes. It's so simple. All you got to do is click the search button on your phone right now. On It's on the right. Even if you're already on The Kyle Tierman Show, type in The Kyle Tierman Show again. It's going to take you to a new page that says details, reviews, related. Click reviews. Give it a few stars. It helps other people find the show. Also, I'm looking for music. So if you or anyone you know is a talented musician and would like to have their music played at the end of my podcast, get them in touch with me. Head over to my website, kyle.surf. I will give them credit. um, And below on the podcast page, I will link to their band page. 
With that, I'm going to leave you with a song by Kai Killian called Mermaid Legs. Happy 4th of July, everyone. See you soon. Dark cracks broke my baby's back one day, and mermaid's legs.